Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Supreme Court justices doxed. A pro-abortion group has posted the purported home addresses of six conservative justices. The group's calling for a protest. With Title 42 potentially ending, is the administration ready to handle the expected influx of illegal immigrants? Officials testify today on what they're planning to do. Amber Heard took the stand again today, saying that Johnny Depp physically abused her many times. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't get through to him, I couldn't, I couldn't get up, I couldn't get up. Five candidates on the spot vying for Pennsylvania's open U.S. Senate seat in what might be the last debate before the primary election. As the North Carolina GOP primaries gear up, House incumbent Madison Cawthorn is not backing down over what he calls a rhino hit campaign. Jen Psaki is leaving her position as the White House press secretary. She introduced her successor, Corrine Jean-Pierre, at today's press conference at the White House. She will be the first black woman, uh, the first out LGBTQ plus person to serve in this role, uh, which is amazing because representation matters. She got her start in New York City politics. She comes to this job with decades of experience, even though she looks very young. We're both in our 20s. <laughs> That's right. Uh, having served in communications and political roles on many campaigns. Jean-Pierre served during the Obama administration and in his campaigns. She's also a longtime advisor to President Biden and his wife. Saki said she is thankful for the trust the president and his team have given her during her time as press secretary. She's set to leave the White House next week. Security is tightening around the U.S. Supreme Court, as well as for the justices and their families. This in the wake of the leaked draft opinion indicating the court may soon overturn Roe v. Wade. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. Protesters have held gatherings outside the Supreme Court ever since the leak revealed Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Now, pro-abortion activists may be coming to the justices' homes. In collaboration with Vigil for Democracy, a group named Ruth Sentas posted a map with the purported addresses of the six conservative justices on their website. In a call to action, the group's website states, Our 6-3 extremist Supreme Court routinely issues rulings that hurt women, racial minorities, LGBTQ+, and immigrant rights. We must rise up to force accountability using a diversity of tactics. They're planning to protest outside the homes on May 11th. Ruth Sentas has a history of protesting abortion restrictions by interrupting Catholic church services. The group is encouraging protests inside local Catholic churches this Sunday. According to Fox News, there's been a strong police presence at the justices' homes following the leak. Justice Samuel Alito was set to appear at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals Judicial Conference on Thursday, but cancelled last minute without reason. Fences around the Supreme Court were put up the night of the leak, and on Wednesday, they got even higher when D.C. police erected tall, non-scalable fencing around the building in anticipation of escalating protests this weekend. Police have also activated protest response units through Sunday. Grace Coulter, NTD News. 
The Biden administration is reportedly ramping up the use of Title 42 to expel illegal immigrants to Mexico. This while the administration works to end Title 42 later this month. Here are the details. An anonymous U.S. official and an anonymous high-level Mexican official told the Associated Press that the U.S. struck an agreement with Mexico to expel illegal immigrants under Title 42 authority. They say the U.S. border authorities are expelling up to 100 Cubans and 20 Nicaraguans a day from three locations, San Diego, El Paso, and the Rio Grande Valley. The expulsions began April 27th and will end May 22nd. Title 42 is a public health law that's used to expel immigrants to prevent the spread of COVID-19. It is set to expire on May 23rd. Since March 2020, the U.S. has expelled 1.8 million illegal immigrants using Title 42. Border agents are expecting a record wave of illegal immigrants after the law expires. The latest expulsions are reportedly taking place while the Biden administration says it's phasing out the use of Title 42. Both the White House and the Department of Homeland Security have said that Title 42 could no longer be justified on grounds of protecting public health. In an email to NTD, the DHS neither confirmed nor denied the latest expulsions. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Worries are mounting with Title 42 scheduled to end. What is the administration doing to prepare for the expected influx of illegal immigrants? Here are the details. The Biden administration wants to lift Title 42 in just about two weeks, but are we ready for it? I would not say that we are not prepared. What I would say is that we are preparing. Department of Homeland Security officials are trying to quell fears among lawmakers about the expected surge of illegal immigrants. We are expecting a lot more people to come. At a Wednesday hearing, they cited a six-point vision laid out by DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, which includes shifting manpower, speeding up processing, and issuing deportation orders. These preparations will help us to address the challenges at our border more effectively while protecting the safety and security of our communities. But that wasn't convincing enough, even for some Democrats. As of this moment, I do not feel confident that um, the system is ready. Is that people keep telling me, but we have a plan, and it isn't clear that having the plan and actually having the resources on the ground to meet the goals of that plan are the same thing. What was described, but Republicans, meanwhile, pointed to an already unprecedented level of illegal migration in 2022 and what could be worse after Title 42 ends. What you are saying is that without Title 42, you're going to have a lot more people who come to the border and say, I have a credible fear, and like others, they'll be allowed to come into the country. Is that correct? Yes, sir, that is correct. Okay. And the most heated exchange played out between Senator Josh Hawley and a top border policy official who refused to call the border situation a crisis. But it's not a crisis. It is a challenge, sir. And suggested that the lifting of the public health order will instead decrease illegal border crossing. Because of the lack oh, of wow. consequences. So, de so eliminating it will, will then, you think, decrease the amount of illegal immigration? I think over time, once we start reimposing significant immigration consequences. Wow, that is news. And the rule still faces an uncertain fate. A federal judge has put a hold on its scheduled lifting, and there will be a hearing next week with a final ruling expected. It's day two of Amber Heard testifying on the witness stand. She recounted several times when the movie star Johnny Depp allegedly physically abused her. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Heard says as her relationship with Depp got stronger, he began to restrict her from certain acting roles. 
then I started minimizing the kinds of kissing scenes that I had and eventually I had to change the wardrobe that I could have in in the movie I couldn't have a couldn't have a sex scene but that all you know was it didn't happen all at once of course she said one time Depp got really mad at her because of a kissing scene she had with James Franco the incident occurred on a plane he sits down in front of me at one point and because I'm not answering him I was looking out of the window and he slaps my face Heard said it didn't hurt but because he did it in front of other people, she was embarrassed. Then she said Depp locked himself in the bathroom and began howling. Heard says another time Depp attacked her was at a mansion he rented. She said he accused her of being with other men who she was filming with at the time. And he's throwing these bottles one after the other, and I can feel glass breaking behind me. She said Depp then tackled her onto a ping pong table. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get through to him. I couldn't, I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up. Depp has said Hurd greatly exaggerates his drinking and that he tolerates his liquor well. Friends, family, and employees of Depp have taken the stand and backed up his claims. Jason Perry, NTD News. With less than two weeks until the Pennsylvania primary elections, a Senate GOP debate took place Wednesday with each of the five candidates vying to distinguish themselves as the best choice. NTD's Chenny Wu gives us an overview. At an event hosted by Newsmax, leading Republican candidates for the Pennsylvania GOP Senate nomination were neck and neck at Wednesday's primary debate. They brought up the topic of abortion following the unprecedented Supreme Court leak. The candidates all considered themselves pro-life and applauded the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. They also discussed foreign policy in China, all the while roasting each other. Front-runners include Trump-endorsed celebrity surgeon Mehmet Oz and former hedge fund CEO David McCormick, with conservative activist Kathy Barnett following close behind, according to a recent poll. Other candidates include former U.S. Ambassador Carla Sands and businessman Jeff Bardos. This could be the last debate. The primary is May 17th, leaving the candidates less than two weeks to distinguish themselves as spending exceeds $60 million in the Republican primary. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn responded to the publication of a nude video of him, claiming it was another hit from his opponent's drip campaign. He avowed not to fight back down. Arlene Richards reports. I've never folded in Washington, and I never will. Early voting has begun in the North Carolina GOP primary race, and it seems that the gloves may be off when it comes to embattled Congressman Madison Cawthorn. The American Muckrakers PAC, which runs a website called FireMadison.com, uploaded a video Wednesday that appears to show the congressman naked atop another man, becoming physical and making noises. Cawthorn called the video a new hit against me. He said in a Twitter post that he was being crass with a friend, trying to be funny, and that they were acting foolish and joking. David B. Wheeler, president of Muck Rakers PAC, said in a comment about the video that Madison Cawthorn should resign from Congress today. He said he wasn't interested in Cawthorn's behavior behind closed doors, but that his actions should have consequences. Wheeler filed an ethics complaint against the congressman last week claiming improper House financial disclosures regarding gifts and loans to Stephen L. Smith, Cawthorn's scheduler. 
The next day, the Daily Mail published a video of Cawthorn and Smith sitting in a car and joking about sex. In a video yesterday, Cawthorn addressed what he called outlandish stuff put out by the media. I've really never seen the swamp launch such a coordinated attack against any individual in politics except for Donald Trump. The Republican primaries will take place in North Carolina on May 17. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Several people were injured after overnight missile attacks in eastern Ukraine. No deaths reported yet, but there could be a reason for that. NTD's Jessica Beatty explains. At least 25 civilians were wounded after Russian forces shelled Kramatorsk and another city in eastern Ukraine overnight. One resident says she and her husband are lucky. For one moment it sounded far away. I couldn't sleep and went to the bathroom. Then the roof started crumbling down. My husband opened the window slightly. We probably got lucky. We could have been hit with an explosion wave. The governor of the region said the shelling damaged nine residential buildings and a school. Looking at the aftermath, it's amazing so few were injured and none were killed. The possible reason for that is at least two-thirds of the city of Kramatorsk had already left. Those who remain are now cleaning up debris and assessing the damage. Meanwhile, in the southeast, over 340 civilians were evacuated Wednesday from the port city of Mariupol. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said they're now on their way to the Ukrainian-controlled city of Zaporizhia. All of them will get the necessary assistance. All of them will be treated in the most supportive manner by our state. The evacuees had taken refuge for weeks in Mariupol's Azovstal steel plant, the last stronghold of Ukrainian forces in the city. A Ukrainian commander Wednesday said they're still holding out. It's already the second day since the army broke into the territory of the plant. There are heavy, bloody battles. I am proud of my soldiers who make superhuman efforts to contain the pressure of the enemy. Russia said it would pause military activity at the plant during the day Thursday, Friday and Saturday so more civilians can get out. Meanwhile, over in Moldova, a small country in between Romania and Ukraine, a pro-Russian separatist region criticized the EU Wednesday for promising military aid to Moldova's government. Fears have increased in recent days that Moldova could be drawn into the Ukraine conflict. That's after the pro-Russian separatists blamed Kyiv for what they call terrorist attacks. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Russia is preparing for its Victory Day parade. It's an annual commemoration of the Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. The Defense Ministry released footage of a nighttime parade rehearsal. Military personnel and vehicles paraded through Moscow's central Red Square on Wednesday evening. Tanks and missile launchers were also on display. Crowds stood watching behind barriers as the vehicles passed. This year's parade on May 9th will take place against the backdrop of what Russia calls its special military operation in Ukraine. Forbes says the parade is almost 35% smaller than previous years. This due to Ukraine battlefield losses and equipment being dedicated to the invasion. Russian President Vladimir Putin is due to, to deliver a speech and oversee the event. The Kremlin on Wednesday dismissed speculation that Putin would formally declare war on Ukraine and decree a national mobilization of, on the day of the parade. EU member states are discussing how to end Russian oil imports. The region's reliance on Russian energy is a major obstacle to carrying out the plan. Here's more on that story. 
EU member states are finalizing Wednesday's proposal for a phased embargo on Russian oil. French Environment and Energy Minister Barbara Pompili said a consensus could be reached by the end of this week. The Brussels oil ban would be the toughest sanction yet imposed on Moscow. If adopted, the plan would take effect in six months for crude oil and in eight months for refined oil products. An expert said that means Russia will have to turn its eyes to Asia. We've seen already a significant redirection of flows uh, away from Europe um, into uh, several European, uh, Asian countries, particularly India, has been taking a lot of Russian oil, a lot more than it usually does. Um, we are now seeing China also showing some interest in increasing purchases of Russian oil. Um, it hasn't picked up yet, but realistically it's, it's probably going to. Livia Gallarotti is a senior analyst at Energy Aspects, a London-based energy research firm. She said the EU must look for alternatives amid soaring energy prices. Europe's reliance on Russian energy is so high that you cannot easily wean off of it without having a significant economic impact uh, in the region. Despite heavy dependence on Russian oil, countries including Germany, Latvia, Poland and Lithuania have voiced support for the EU's decision, but some are raising objections. Hungary's foreign minister said he could not support the proposal because it would undermine the country's energy security. Hungary could only agree to these sanctions measures if crude oil transport via pipeline was exempted from the sanctions. In that case, the security of Hungary's energy supply would be upheld. Other countries are seeking a longer transition to introduce the ban. Czech Prime Minister Peter Fiala said he would like to get a two to three year delay. We are ready to support this decision, given the Czech Republic will have some postponement until capacity is increased in oil pipelines, which can deliver oil to the Czech Republic. And we are trying to make sure that we get that postponement for two or three years. Slovakia is also seeking a three-year transition period. The country's crude oil imports come almost entirely from Russia. Coming up, the CDC might know exactly who followed lockdown orders during the pandemic and who didn't. They acquired the location data of millions of Americans to analyze their behavior. And in college sports, name image likeness deals have enriched student athletes, but could federal regulations soon be coming? That and more coming up. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers, cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here so you are in the know. might know exactly whether you were following lockdown orders during the pandemic or not. Documents show the government agency bought cell phone data to track people's whereabouts during the lockdown. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. Almost all of us have a cell phone and often these cell phones track where we go and who we spend time with. Now according to Motherboard, the CDC bought this data collected by tens of millions of phones for less than half a million dollars. 
According to documents, the CDC paid $420,000 to a company called SafeGraph for a year's access to the data. They then used it to examine the effects of lockdowns, mask mandates and the general behavior of American citizens. If they can get any data they want, like, at any time, so. So you're not surprised? Nope, not at all. According to the CDC document, the data has been critical for ongoing response efforts, such as hourly monitoring of activity in curfew zones or detailed counts of visits to participating pharmacies for vaccine monitoring. This is another example of the CDC going far beyond its authority. Matt Staver is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. He says courts ruled that the CDC overstepped its authority before, for example, when the mask mandate for air travel was overturned. If we go down this path, it's not a good future for America and for the freedom of United States citizens. We see something like this happening, for example, in communist China, where they track their individual citizens there and they restrict their access to generally available public facilities or flights or other benefits that other people would have based upon their tracking of these individuals. He added that Congress should enact federal legislation that bans this kind of data tracking. We've reached out to the CDC but didn't hear back before broadcast. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. 2021 was the biggest year for bankers on Wall Street, giving out bonuses totaling billions. But this year, things are looking very different. NTD's Phil Zoe reports. In 2021, Wall Street gave out bonuses totaling a record $45 billion, which was 20% higher than the year before. Workers in the securities industry average a quarter million dollars on their bonus check. But as bank profits drop this year, things are changing. They're expected to go down dramatically over this coming year. Bonuses for underwriters at investment banks may drop up to 40% because there are fewer deals being made. David Delio has been a financial advisor and marketing director for the past 20 years. Most recently, he authored a new book called The Golden Quest, which educates kids and adults about finance. As we start to get to back to pre-COVID times, a lot of this sort of craziness that we've seen the last few years, we're starting to see a, a, a movement back to more normal times, more normal rates. Big U.S. banks like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan reported first quarter profits that were 40% lower than the same time last year. On a positive note, sales and trading divisions that struggled throughout the pandemic may rebound this year, taking advantage of market uncertainty. Once you start looking with larger time horizons, you start becoming more conservative and realizing that there's, there's a bit of an easier way and it's, you know, rather than trying to beat the markets, just try to participate in the markets and average the markets. Traders are expected to get a 5% to 20% bump in bonuses. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. A teacher claims she was fired after discussing her sexual orientation with her middle school-aged class. She also hung up flags drawn by the students expressing their own sexuality. This led to complaints from some students and parents. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. A Florida middle school teacher claims she was fired after discussing her sexuality with students. Speaking with NBC2, Trafalgar Middle School art teacher Casey Scott said that during a lesson in March, students asked her about her sexual orientation. She told them she's pansexual and explained what that meant. The students then drew flags representing their own sexuality, and Scott hung the drawings on her classroom door. 
After receiving multiple complaints from students and parents, the school district informed Scott they were ending her contract for not following the mandated curriculum. This follows a trend of teachers nationwide discussing their sexuality with students, some even coming out to their students as gay or transgender. Many of these teachers have been exposed by libs of TikTok, a social media account that repost TikTok videos online of people expressing radical left-wing views, many of whom teachers who explain how they discuss their sexuality and LGBTQ-related ideas with students. The videos have provoked nationwide discussion around boundaries and the appropriateness of educators discussing these topics with students. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Here's a reason to party on a Thursday. It's Cinco de Mayo. Every year on the 5th of May, Americans celebrate Mexican-American heritage and pride. The United States Congress issued a proclamation in 2005 calling on Americans to observe Cinco de Mayo. Most people do so by enjoying a Mexican-themed meal and drinks like tacos and margaritas. You can also explore Mexican culture, music, dance and film. A growing number of older dams are in dangerous condition across the U.S. The Associated Press reports that more than 2,000 of them are rated as high hazards, meaning they would likely cause deaths if they were to fail. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. The massive rock and clay dam at El Capitan Reservoir is capable of storing over 36 billion gallons of water, enough to supply every resident in San Diego for most of a year. Today, it's three-quarters empty because of concerns it could fail. I mean, on an earthquake, a, a big earthquake, you never know what's going to happen, if this is going to hold, you know what I mean? El Capitan has been added to a growing list of dams rated in poor condition that would likely cause deaths downstream if they failed. That our dams are getting older. The average age of a dam is about 60 years old. and. Uh, there are many dams that, that are well over 100 years old that are, are still in operation and existence. An Associated Press analysis tallied more than 2,200 high-hazard dams in poor or unsatisfactory condition across the U.S. The $1 trillion infrastructure bill signed last year by President Joe Biden will pump about $3 billion into dam-related projects. In addition to freeways and bridges, which are important, these reservoirs are very important as well, and we need to start spending the money on them to retrofit them, to get them up again back to full capacity. The nation's dams are over a half century old on average, and often present more of a hazard than originally envisioned when designed, because homes, businesses, or highways have been built below them. Well, it's if you're in an area impacted by uh, a flood caused by the failure of that dam, your 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 life is is uh, potentially at risk. It, it should the should that dam fail. So that's why it's important. We, we should know the hazards around us in, in all shapes and forms, and and dams are are one of them. A change in climate and extreme floods have brought a renewed focus to an often overlooked aspect of the nation's critical infrastructure. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, California recently revised its math framework from last year, but it's still getting pushback from university professors because they don't like the idea of other subjects substituting math. One educator says it still politicizes math. Airbnb says it'll crack down on unauthorized parties during the summer holidays. Users without positive reviews will deal with an extra restriction. That and more when we return on NTD News.
now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. First, in collegiate action, the AP is reporting that the commissioners of the SEC and PAC-12 are in D.C. today to meet with lawmakers to lobby for federal legislation to regulate the name, image, and likeness compensation, known as NIL, for collegiate athletes. Reportedly, the duo want to look at the negative ramifications of the new rule and discuss plans for a solution. The NCAA lifted its long-held ban on student-athletes making money on endorsement and sponsorship deals last year, yet there are few regulations regarding its implementation. The result has suddenly gotten wealthy donors heavily involved in athlete recruitment instead of coaches and schools. Last week, ESPN reported that NIL agent David Pappas negotiated a two-year $800,000 deal for former Kansas State guard Nigel Pack. Pack was considered the top player available in the NCAA's transfer portal before recently committing to Miami. The deal was funded by billionaire John Ruiz, who according to a report in the Miami Herald, has over 100 deals with Miami Hurricanes student-athletes to promote his companies. Meanwhile, that same agent said another of his clients, current Miami Hurricanes guard Isaiah Wong, would enter the same transfer portal if his current NIL deal wasn't renegotiated to reflect what incoming players to the team were being paid. Ruiz reportedly said in a text to ESPN that he does not renegotiate deals. Wong eventually decided to stay with Miami, but the exchange shed light on what's becoming the new norm in college recruiting. Round one of the NHL playoffs continues tonight with four more Game 2s on the schedule, including Washington versus Florida. The eight-seeded Capitals, however, will be without forward Tom Wilson, who's out with what's being termed as a lower body injury. Wilson scored a goal in the team's 4-2 win in Game 1 and is fourth on the team in scoring this season with 52 points. Meanwhile, the Rangers host the Penguins as backup goalie Louis Domingue will get the start for Pittsburgh. The 30-year-old came in on relief of starter Casey DeSmith during the second overtime of the Penguins' epic 4-3 triple overtime win on Tuesday and made 17 saves. Elsewhere in the league, the Avalanche look to take a 2-0 lead as they host the Predators, and the Stars look to even things up on the road as they battle the Flames. And in today's news of good sportsmanship, a home run ball hit Monday by Yankees star Aaron Judge in Toronto was immediately scooped up by a Blue Jays fan who gave it to a nearby youngster wearing an Aaron Judge shirt. The youngster, overwhelmed with emotion, hugged the Jays fan as tears rolled down his face in what has become a touching viral video. The next day, the young Yankees fan, nine-year-old Derek Rodriguez, as well as a Blue Jays fan, Mike Lenzalata were invited to the Yankees dugout to meet with Judge. That's all for sports today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And there's a new math framework that may come into effect in California's public schools. Although it has been revised many times, one educator tells NTD's The Nation Speaks it would still politicize K-12 math in a potentially dangerous way. Zeb Werman, former senior advisor in the U.S. Department of Education, criticized the new curriculum framework for K-12 mathematics after it was revised from last year. He tells Cindy Drukier, host of The Nation Speaks, that the framework is flawed in three ways. The first one is that it indeed politicized mathematics. It injects social justice, it injects sociopolitical uh, uh, conscience, it injects various uh, ideas that come from social justice rather than talking about math. So there is a de-emphasis of the math itself and 
emphasis on political, sociopolitical issues. He said the framework is also flawed in that it departs from confirmed research and cites research that has been unpublished. Worman and Williamson Evers, senior fellow and director of the Center on Educational Excellence, co-wrote a commentary in response to the new draft. They said, while it is notably improved regarding opportunities for advanced work, the document is still woefully laden with dogma about politics and how to teach math. There are dozens and dozens, most of them culled from the website of this main author. They're, again, not peer-referenced, peer-reviewed. Uh, they're just ideas of, you know, how students feel about certain things, how we should promote uh, the writers of uh, certain ideas or the authors of the certain ideas in mathematics rather than the actual importance of the mathematics that was discovered. There is a petition regarding the second draft. It states, it's misleading to promote data literacy at high school level data science courses to substitute math content to prepare for college. Algebra, statistics, geometry, trigonometry, and calculus as topics in the high school math curriculum are not interchangeable. As of May 4th, there are nearly 400 signatures opposing the draft from academic staff at four-year colleges and universities in California. A framework using the less efficient, less effective techniques is going to lower the achievement of our students even more. And uh, further, by injecting essentially foreign material into a discipline that for centuries was considered very clear Last year, over 1,200 educators, mostly professors, signed an open letter to the governor and state education leaders condemning the framework. The public review and comment period for the new revision started March 14th and will continue through May 16th. Individuals or organizations comment and suggest edits to the State Board of Education during this time. You can catch the full interview on The Nation Speaks with Cindy Drucker this Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on NTD. And it seems like Elon Musk is getting some help from friends and investors for his Twitter takeover. A recent SEC filing shows Musk securing over $7 billion. Billionaire Larry Ellison of database firm Oracle is giving $1 billion to Musk's initiative. Venture capital firm Sequoia is adding $800 million. And the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, is giving $500 million. The party's over. Airbnb says the company is putting strict new rules in place to crack down on unauthorized parties at rental properties during the summer holidays. On Wednesday, Airbnb said users without a history of positive reviews will not be allowed to book a home for only one night. Bookers will also have to confirm they understand the company can take legal action for breaking the rules. The restrictions come after two teens were killed at a large party held last month at a property in Pittsburgh, rented through the app, where many of the guests were minors. Airbnb says the new rules will be in place for the Memorial Day weekend, as well as the 4th of July weekend. And coming up, the British and Japanese prime ministers have agreed to a landmark defense deal to bolster military cooperation between the two countries with a view to have Europe and East Asia unified against autocratic, coercive powers. That and more after this short break. Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. 
our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. The Prime Ministers of the UK and Japan have agreed on a defence deal that would allow their military forces to work more closely together. Bolstering the cooperation between the two countries is part of Britain's post-Brexit policy to deepen ties with nations in the Indo-Pacific region, with an intention to have Europe and East Asia unified in the face of autocratic, coercive powers. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. Prime Minister Boris Johnson met his Japanese counterpart, Fumio Kishida, to establish bilateral trade and defense treaties, deepening the ties between the two nations. The agreements will boost the UK's commitment to the Indo-Pacific, building on already close collaboration and safeguarding global peace and security. Kishida's first official visit at the invitation of the government was marked with a guard of honour and an RAF flypast over Horse Guards Parade in central London. After the spectacle, Johnson and Kishida headed to Downing Street where the British leader announced a military accord has been struck. Uh, we in the UK recognise that our security in Europe is indivisible from the security, uh, our security, our collective security in uh, the Asia-Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific region. Johnson said there is a direct relation between the actions of autocratic, coercive powers in Europe and what may happen in the East Asia region, alluding to Beijing's aggression towards Taiwan. Kishida expressed similar concerns, saying peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait is critical not only for Japan, but also for international stability. Since Britain left the European Union in 2020, Johnson has moved to expand the UK's influence among countries in the Indo-Pacific region, describing it as increasingly the geopolitical centre of the world. The military agreement will allow UK and Japanese forces to deploy together for training, joint exercises and disaster relief activities. Johnson also said the world has observed the strong stance the Japanese government has taken against Russia's invasion. Delivering a speech at London's Guildhall earlier in the day, Kishida called upon bankers and investors to invest in Japan. He said Japan will continue to be an economic powerhouse and will use nuclear energy to detach from Russian oil and gas. In order to contribute to a global move to reduce dependence on Russian energy, in addition to renewable energy, we will secure safety to utilize nuclear reactors. Johnson said the landmark agreements will ensure the two island nations focus on driving growth and remaining technological superpowers. The expanded trade partnerships are expected to boost major infrastructure projects, with Downing Street saying they will provide an alternative to Russian oil and gas, suggesting the sharing of nuclear tech. With Taiwan raising its alert level since the invasion, Kashida said collaboration between nations sharing universal values is becoming ever more vital, and warned that Ukraine today may be East Asia tomorrow. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Russia is one of the world's largest producers of buckwheat. But the invasion of Ukraine has complicated the efforts of other countries to obtain the export. 
NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on how the holdup is impacting Japan. Restaurant owner Ryu Ishihara will soon be raising prices on his soba noodles for the first time in nearly a decade, as rising costs and Russia's invasion of Ukraine take a toll. From COVID-19 and now with this war, I'm wondering when it will all end. I first thought it would all be over in six months, but there are no signs of an end. I'm really worried. A good part of the buckwheat that goes into the noodles comes from Russia, the world's top buckwheat producer. Russian buckwheat can still be imported for now, but instability and shipping disruptions have hampered supply. Because of the economic sanctions, such as Russia being removed from SWIFT banking system and some shipping companies putting a halt on its cargo ships departing and arriving in Russian ports, there's been a disruption on logistics. As a result, there's been a delay in the arrival of buckwheat seeds to Japan. Soba is famous as a cheap meal served cold or hot, often slurped quickly by workers and students. Ishihara's prices run from $2.30 up to $3.90, with add-ons like tempura and rice boosting the cost. It depends on how often I will come, but I hope the price stays around 500 yen. Despite Soba's iconic status, Japan produced only 42% of its buckwheat needs in 2020. That's according to the Japan Soba Association. The Agriculture Ministry says that the gap is filled by imports, with Russia being the third largest source of buckwheat from 2018. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The mayor of Paris is keen to build more skyscrapers. One of them is the Triangle Tower project, which would become the city's third highest building. It's attracting criticism from both locals and city legislators. NTD's David Vives met with the co-founder of a citizens' collective speaking out against the project. For the past two centuries, Paris has been shaped by neoclassical architecture. It features columns, sculptures and arches, and aims to achieve symmetry. But for the past decade, new buildings have emerged in the French capital, and with them a different vision of architecture, such as the Philharmonie de Paris Concert Hall, which opened in 2015. And in February of this year, construction started for the Triangle Tower. With a height of 180 meters, this pyramid-shaped glass skyscraper would become the city's third-tallest building. Former city legislator Olivier Rigaud has been rallying against the project. He says the building would be a major nuisance for the neighborhood. Residents are really affected. The construction of the tower will have a huge impact on the environment, and on top of that, it will block the view of the neighboring buildings. You have to imagine a 45-story behemoth five to six times higher than the surrounding buildings. The mayor of Paris wants to build high-rise buildings from this point on, so they say they will bring an identity. But these districts do not need these buildings for their identity. Planning for the Triangle Tower started 14 years ago, and resident associations have opposed all along. The mayor of 15th district, where the tower will stand, is against the project, as well as the Green City legislators. Rigaud says the building will be eventually paid by taxpayers. The company that builds the tower has signed a lease for 80 years, after which it reverts to the city. In other words, Parisians will have to pay with their taxes for this acquisition by the city. While the current socialist Paris mayor advocates for a renewal of the city architecture, recent constructions have proven to be expensive. The Philharmonie in the end cost almost 330 million pounds, an overrun of £180 million. In the case of the Triangle Tower, 
Rigo and other associations have filed two complaints at the special financial court. Though the construction has started, he says there is still hope to prevent the building from ever being completed. According to a poll, 64% of Paris residents are against the building of new skyscrapers in the capital. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Coming up, a rare 80-carat diamond ring will be up for auction next week in Geneva. Sotheby's says it's expected to fetch around $8 million. And a new exhibition at the Museo del Prado in Madrid asks visitors to experience artworks using their sense of smell, allowing them to appreciate a different side of the work. Learn more in just a minute here on NTD News. A rare diamond and ruby ring, an important collection of watches, and other treasures will go under the hammer next week in Switzerland. That's according to auction house Sotheby's. Let's take a look. This stunning ring by Chopard features an 80-carat diamond. It'll be up for auction on May 10th in Geneva and is expected to fetch around $8 million. It's mounted with six uh, very bright uh, rubies, uh, unheated Mozambique rubies, and it's a D-color stone, uh, internally flawless, potentially flawless, uh, excellent cut and symmetry. It's also Olivier Wagner is the head of sale and jewelry specialist at Sotheby's Geneva. He says diamond prices have increased on average close to 15% since the beginning of the year. Sotheby's is also presenting a diamond bracelet from 1927 decorated with tropical birds and floral sprigs that could fetch $745,000. It's really uh, a museum piece. Each stone was specifically cut to fit the mount, so the, the, the work to, uh, to, to make this bracelet is really uh, amazing, and it will be very costly and uh, will take a lot of time to uh, replicate that uh, even today. The auction house is also offering an important collection of watches, which in total could fetch $18 million, the highest collective value held by Sotheby's in nearly 10 years. One of the highlights is an Audemars Piguet Royal Oak, designed by Gerald Genta, known as the Picasso of watchmaking. This one is actually the one that was sold to Genta himself and worn by Genta um, during his lifetime in 78. Um, it's particularly special because it's the only one that was actually owned by him that's ever come to, to market as of yet. Other notable items include a 1979 Patek Philippe Jumbo Nautilus wristwatch. A new exhibition at the Museo del Prado in Madrid is bringing a fresh dimension to art. It uses scent to immerse visitors in the paintings on display. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Fragrances waft through the air in the Museo Nacional del Prado in Madrid. This exhibition called The Essence of a Painting is taking on a new approach asking guests to use their sense of smell. We were doing originally here is trying to call attention to his art. And the way we decided to do that after much thinking was simply to isolate one of the paintings of the five senses, the one that deals with the sense of smell, and to use it to focus our attention on another thing that we don't pay that much attention to, which is the way in which the past smelled. One of the works on display is Smell, a 17th century painting by Jan Bruegel the Elder and Peter Paul Rubens. Visitors are able to smell the elements present in the piece. The painting has about between 80 and 90 objects that produce odor of some kind, mainly flowers. 
And what we have done is we've selected 10 of these objects and we have brought some screens that were created by a technology called Air Perfume by the, the company called Pooch. Visitors can experience a new side to the paintings and get more out of a trip to the museum. The fusion of two senses, visual and olfactory, makes your memory more retentive. So I think that adding smell into a painting will make people remember Jan Bregel and Rubens much more. It's a wonderful painting with incredible detail. The more I look and explore it, the more I discover a different detail. Sola has created 10 fragrances related to the painting, allowing visitors to explore with their smell. I think it's a fantastic experience. The smells are really authentic, so it's beautifully done, which gives you a different dimension when you see the paintings, smell it. Smell is part of the series of the five senses, also on display in the same room. The exhibition is open to the public until July 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.